memories for some of you. I see a couple of you, uh, you know, enjoying that. All right, do you get the message? All right, good deal. Look in your lessons notes. Our friends, the Beatles, uh, have pretty much summed up the uh, fourth spiritual skill for how to listen to a sermon. And let's review there. Look in your notes. How to hupakuo. Hupakuo. Come under that which you hear in order to obey. And we said the first spiritual skill, expect to hear from God and not just from man. Who you expect to hear determines how you listen. I hope you got that one down. Number two, admit God knows better than we do. When it comes to listening to a sermon, the best hearing aid is what? A humbled heart, a humbled heart. God, you know best. Father knows best. And then number three, check what is heard with the Bible. Learn to discern. Be diligent to check the spoken word of men with the written word of God. Now, those first two skills are foundational. If you don't have those, if you don't come with a right heart and a heart that's prepared by the Holy Spirit, then all the other skills aren't going to do you any good. And then that third one is a critical skill. It's the one that enables us to have pre-obedience without having it be mindless obedience. We do want to come. Lord, whatever's going to be said from you, I will do it. But the way to make sure that doesn't lead you astray is to be a Berean that checks what is spoken with what is written. But today's skill, today's skill is countercultural. It's countercultural in a day when increased technology, busy schedules lead to greater isolation. And here's the principle, and you just heard it from our the, the, the Fab Four. Number four, come together. Come together to hear the Lord speak on his day. And here's how I'd summarize this. First things first. Listening with God's people is a priority. It's a priority for those who hoopa kuo. The Beatles didn't realize it, but hidden in their song were three priorities to putting this spiritual skill into practice. And here's the good news. We don't have to play that song backwards to figure out what it is, okay? It's real simple. It's come together right now over me. That's how you make this spiritual skill a priority. So let's look at these. Priority number one, come together. Come together to hear the Word of God. Come together to Hupakuo. Don't stay away from our worship meetings, as some habitually do. That's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10. So turn your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10, 24 through 25, is really the foundational passage for this spiritual skill. If you want to get this into your heart, if you want to see the basis for it, it's all there in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. I just keep coming back. There's, there, there's just 
there's this satellite, this, the, these, this, this planetary solar system of passages that revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ, just like our planets revolve around the sun, that no matter where you go in the universe of life, you always intersect through these passages. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 is a crucial passage like that for me. Notice what it says. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And let me just say that that's what church, the word church means assembly. It means a called out assembly. And so what he's saying is don't forsake the called out ones. Don't forsake the gathered church as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here's what I, the first thing I want you to get out of coming together. Coming together as a church and listening to sermons together is spiritual worship. Listening to sermons as a gathered church is spiritual worship. And I don't think we always think in those terms. We think of what other people are doing. Uh, and, and, and when we're sitting and just listening, and I hope you're learning that we're no longer passive listeners. You can't hoop a kuo and be a passive listener. So now you're starting to learn, hey, I'm an active listener. And guess what? That active listening is spiritual worship. The first observation I want you to see about verses 24 and 25 is that they are one connected verse, with, uh, one connected sentence with verse 19. In the original Greek, 19 through 25 is one sentence. It's broken up often in English translations for easier reading for English speakers. But the reason I, I, I make that point is so that you see that all the lettuces in this cabbage patch of passages, verse 22, let us draw near, verse 23, let us hold fast, verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's all interconnected. Now you say, why is that important? Well, notice it starts out that in verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance. We tend to think of that as individual worship. You know, that's what I do when I'm praying. That's what I do when I'm reading the Word by myself. And then, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's something I do as an individual. And then, okay, then I go to church. But notice, it's all in the plural. Let us, let us, let us. And it's all interconnected. Now, you say, why is that important? Well, let me read the uh, uh, Holman Christian Standard translation of this passage. It's really good. It says, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, it's popular today to disconnect individual worship from corporate worship. And what we tend to do is say what I do individually is spiritual. What people do corporately is religious. I'm not into religion. I'm into Jesus. Well, that's great, except it goes against this passage. In this passage, you can't be into Jesus and not be into his gathered people. All of it is spiritual and all of it is 
worship. In fact, yesterday we had a great time. Thank you, those of you that came to make these visits. I'm telling you, it was a blessing to go with my daughter, with my wife. We had outstanding visits, and and one of the guys uh, that we visited, uh, when I asked him where he is in his spiritual journal uh, journey, he said, "Oh, you know, I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual, but." The reality was he didn't, but I said, well, if you died, do you know where, that you'd go to heaven? No, I don't, but I, but I want you to know I'm spiritual. Well, that was great, and so I gave him the, the, the track on there on spiritual journey. I said, hey, that's fine. You know, we're all on this journey, and there's next steps. I want to challenge you to look at this and find out where you are on your journey and take that next step. And uh, it, it was just tremendous to be in this community talking to people and see where they are. Unfortunately, we disconnect individual spirituality from corporate worship. Now, the Bible doesn't do that. So you say, okay, so we should make it a top priority to come together. That's spiritual worship. But what do we do once we're together? Well, that got me going this week. And so I came up and looked at Scripture. And I thought, well, what is New Testament worship? Well, here's a nine-week, ten-week study we'll do someday. There's ten priorities of New Testament worship. But what I want you to see is on that left, top left-hand side, what the central top Thing that leads us to at the core is Christ crucified and we worship in spirit and in truth but on that top left is preach and teach the word all other elements of our gathered worship flows from and is dependent upon the preached word of God and I'm telling you what Satan wants to do in your life and in the life of this church and even in us as pastors of this church, is to move the preaching and teaching of God's Word away from the central aspect of our worship. The temptation is to move drama, it's to move more music, it's to move dialogue, it's to move all these things. And as we go through this lesson, you're going to see all those things have their place, but their place is not in place of the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. That's how you have the powerful presence of the triune God. That's where all the prayers, the praise, the participation, the provoking, the purging of those who are disobedient, the persuading and the providing and the practice of the Lord's, it all flows from the teaching and preaching. That was a blessing to me. I hope it is to you. I want to briefly remind you that listening to the reading of the Bible and the preaching of sermons was one of the main things God's people have always done when they come to church. I want you to see that it's spiritual worship to come together and listen to God's Word. And just, we're going to race through this. Jesus saw preaching as the number one priority of His earthly ministry. You know how He's introduced in the Gospel of Mark? Mark 1.14, Jesus came preaching. He burst onto the scene preaching His ministry. He came preaching. And when He was, as will happen, as will happen, when He... By his even his own followers, his own disciples was tried to they try they they unknowingly tried to get him off track of that which his mission was. Here's what he said. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Luke four forty three, he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. The apostles picked up on this in Acts six four, when they too, by the problems of everyday ministry, 
were, were pressured to move away from the preaching of God's Word, here's what they said, Acts 6-4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. But it's not just in the Bible. What happened after the Bible was written? What happened after the apostles passed off the scene? Well, we have an early church document. It's called the, the Didache, which simply means the teaching. It's a Greek word for teaching. Teaching of the Lord through the twelve apostles. It's one of the earliest witnesses outside of the Bible to what the early church did. Listen to what uh, the instruction was given to the first early believers after the apostles. Listen to this. Be long-suffering and pitiful and guileless, guileless and quiet and kindly and always fearing the words which you have heard. You know what, you know what they're teaching their people to do? Hupakuo. Hupakuo. Take reverence to the words when they are preached. Listen to this. My child, you shall remember night and day him that speaks the word of God to you, and you shall honor him as you do the Lord. Wow, that's kind of going away in our day. For wherever the Lord speaks, there is the Lord. Moreover, you shall seek out day by day the persons of the saintly, that you may find rest in their words. But let everyone who comes in the name of the Lord be received, and then when you have tested him, you shall know him, you shall have understanding on the right hand on the left. You know what, he, you know what they're being taught to do? They're being taught to be Bereans. They're being taught the very principles of this series. And they're saying, the word is so precious, you need to know how to listen to it, you need to know how to honor those who speak to it, and you put them to the test. But once they pass the test of Scripture, you listen to what they preach. Listen to the church fathers. We move into the years 150 A.D. So now we're about 50 years after the last apostle. Justin Martyr gives an apology, a defense of Christianity to the Roman emperor Titus. And here's what he's doing. He's trying to explain, this is what Christians do. This is how they worship. Listen to what he says. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place and the memoirs of the apostles, that is the gospels, or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs, and that's their name for the leader of their congregation, instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought, and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgiving according to his ability, and the people assent, saying, and all God's people said, Amen. Does that sound very familiar? Yes, it does. Except for calling Bruce our president. Everything else sounds very, very similar, and you gather together on Sunday. Here's what Tertullian, another church father, in giving another defense of Christianity in 197. So now we're almost 100 years after the apostles. Here's what he says. This is what we do in Christian worship. We assemble to read our sacred writings with the sacred words we nourish our faith we animate our hope 
We make our confidence more steadfast. Sounds like Hebrews 10, doesn't it? And no less by inculcations of God's precepts, we confirm good habits. I think what he's saying there is we exhort, obey, and imitate, develop these habits. In the same place also exhortations are made, rebukes, and sacred censures are administered. You know, what I'm saying is, what we take so for granted is a, is, is, and yet now are starting to neglect more and more in this culture, is what historic Christian faith do. Our spiritual worship is to gather and listen just as you are right now. Now, every pastor in New Testament church sees listening to sermons as a vital part of spiritual worship as a gathered body. First Timothy 4 Uh, Paul exhorts Timothy that he should give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. Uh, Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Who should see the progress? Those who are gathering and listening. So this whole emphasis on speaking assumes what? That someone is listening. Exactly, as part of your spiritual worship. Look at the couple quotes that I think I have there in your notes. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce, one of the great expositors of our time, who's now with the Lord. Here's what he says. The church has to rediscover who God is, come to know Him, fellowship with Him, and the avenue for that has always been Bible exposition and teaching. There is no shortcut. J.I. Packer, one of my favorite, favorite theologians. Read everything you can by this man. Here's what he says. God uses preaching to communicate more than current communication theory is concerned with. I have nothing against books, films, tapes, and study groups in their place. But the place where God sets the preacher is not their place. In other words, nothing can substitute Hearing the preaching of the Word of God. Now, here's the point. Here's the point of all that. How to listen to a sermon is as much of our spiritual worship as the preaching of it, as the singing of praise songs, or giving to the offering. Your listening is a spiritual act of worship. Do we think that way? Do we prepare that way? Is that what we're conscious, consciously doing right now? Now listen to this. Congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to His Word with a full purpose of praising and obeying Him once they see what He has done and is doing and what they are called to do. That's why I love Packer. Listen to Don Whitney author of Spiritual Disciplines Within the Local Church, reverently and responsively listening to God's preached Word is one of the highest forms of honoring and worshiping God. See, you, I, I want to lift you up with joy so that you can see, wow, I get to listen to God's Word taught today. I get to listen to it preached today, and I'm worshiping my God. I'm, I'm holding fast my confession. I'm, I'm drawing near to Him as I do this. This is not just business as usual today. Amen? All right, now, 
And let me give you, what does this mean for you and me this morning? Well, if listening to sermons is an act of spiritual worship, then it also means this. Listening to sermons together is a team sport. This is a team sport. You know, there's some sports that you can do by yourself. You know, golf is a, a sport that you can play by yourself. You can go out there and it's a, you can be isolated, you can be alone. In fact, a lot of people like golf for that very reason. But this is a team sport. Can you imagine trying to play football by yourself? Can you imagine trying to play baseball by yourself? Can you imagine playing that you can't? Volleyball by yourself? You know, run over to the other side, run, set it to yourself, hit it, all that. But you know what? Some people try to play Christianity that way. They try to practice Christianity as though it's not a team sport. But listening to certain, you say, well, I can, I can download a sermon. I can go online. I've got an MP3. I've got an iPod. I, I can just go out to the mountains or even on the golf course as I'm playing golf with my earbuds in, and I can just listen to God's Word preach. I don't need to come to a church to do that. Well, no, there's two reasons why you shouldn't do that. Number one, well, first of all, we've already seen God told you not to, and God's people don't do that, okay? They just don't, historically. But number two, there's better application when we listen together. Amen? There's better application. Here's the thing. When you're, when, you're, when you're on your iPod, and you're listening to a sermon, and you don't like it, what do you get to do? Just turn that thing off. Or when you get distracted, what do you do? You go off on, you know, I, you know Kim and I, we listen to a lot of sermons while we work. And, and uh, you know, Kim was telling me how, you know, she got to listen to like 10 times because you're doing other things. But when you gather together, it's here, it's now, and we're all, we, you know, we can talk about the application. I listened to a simulcast from, uh, uh, on Good Friday from 6 p.m. to midnight of, of a, a, a pastor teaching the cross. And it was so cool to listen to it. And, and Amber and I even stayed up all the way to the end. And uh, there's something about listening to a guy teach on election at, at 11 p.m. Uh, that kind of blows your mind away. But uh, she had, Amber had great questions. We had great time. But you know what? the downside of that was i had no one to talk to about the application other than my family and that's okay but i was like oh i want to i want to be here in a group listening to this i want to share this with other people i want to talk about the application if you take a look at verses 24 and 25 do you realize that that is direct application out of hearing a sermon See, the assumption in verses 24 and 25 is you're going to hear the word read, you're going to hear the word preached, and then once it's read and once it's preached, what do you do? Consider one another. Think about one another. See, again, we have this tendency in listening to preaching to have it just one of two ways. What's it mean to me or what's it mean to someone else who really needs it. And that's neither of the that that's not the options. The options are what does it mean first to us? God is speaking right now to the entire new life classes gathered today. He's speaking to us. And we ought to help each other apply it. But then as part of us, he's speaking to me. But what he's saying to me is not unrelated to what he is saying to Ken. And how I apply it is not unrelated to Sandra. In fact, if I don't apply it, it impacts this entire class. 
Are you with me on how this works together? Let us consider. And then it says, provoke one another. And that means, exact, that's a great translation, it means irritate one another into applying God's Word. Does God's Word ever irritate you? Yeah, it does get under your skin sometimes. And then what do you tend to do? If you haven't admitted God knows best, then you start picking on whoever's speaking. You know, verses of just saying, well, you know, that's just God's provoking. We're, we're supposed to provoke, stir up, get going on that. I think I about blew a lady away last Sunday after uh, worship came up. Hey, man, glad to see you. We know each other. And, and she, she's a kind of a guest, a regular attender here. And I said, hey, how can we help you with your spirit, on your spiritual journey? Well, you know, her eyes you know, get big. And I say, okay, that's a big question. Think on it, and we'll, we'll talk about it next time. But see, that's what, we, that's what we're here to do. We're not here, hey, how you doing? Bye, see you next week. Hey, how you doing? Bye, see you next week. We're here on saying, how did the journey go this week? How was your walk? What can we do to help you? We're here to help you on your journey. So anyway, that's application. Stir up to good works, exhorting. All the more as you see the day approaching. Now is not the time to get together less, according to verse 25. Now's the time to get together more. Let me challenge you. In the last 10 years, are you hearing the word preached, gathered together less or more than what you did a decade ago? Are you coming together to hear the word preached less or more? And if it's less, let me ask you another question that you need to ask yourself. Why? Why? What am I putting in its place? And is what I'm putting in its place benefiting me for eternity? See, a lot of people say, well, we get so much of the word, God, we need to hear less and apply it more. Great. So how's that working for you? How is your time away from more teaching being spent on greater application? If it is, great. And then share that with me so we can help others to do some of these things. But I fear what is happening is we are just retreating. Some of us are in the habit, as he says here in Hebrews, of retreating more and more away from gathering to hear the word taught to fill it with things that, that are cultural cotton candy sweet to the taste but have no substance now if you're doing it to get out in this community and share Christ and build relationship with lost people and you're pouring over Sunday's notes to get it into your heart and teaching your family how to apply what was taught on Sunday then more power to you but but I fear that may not be the case for all so, greater application. Number two, there's greater accountability when we listen together. We all heard it together, and we're all encouraged to apply it together. I'm telling you, the number one thing that I love about reading through the Bible in 90 days is that we're doing it together, that I'm accountable to others, that I get to share what I'm learning. I get to hear what they're learning from what I read. Notice the quotes there. I love this quote by an older commentator, James Moffat. Listen to what he says. Any early Christian who attempted to live like a pious particle, I had to put the quote in just for that, as a pious particle without the support of the community ran serious risk in an age when there was no public opinion to support him. His isolation, whatever its motive, exposed him to danger of losing his faith altogether. Christian perseverance is thus also a community 
endeavor. Again, go back to Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, one sentence. How do I hold fast the confession? How do I persevere in a culture where it's getting harder and harder to stand up for Christ? I come and I gather together in spiritual worship. Now, that's priority one. Now, the obvious uh, tool, the obvious means of doing that is our iLife groups. They are a wonderful place that you can gather in a home and talk about what either the sermon that was preached, the lesson that's being taught here, the DVD study guide. It doesn't matter, but all the things that we're talking about, wow, how do we apply this? How do we hold each other accountable? Small groups are a wonderful way to break down after gathering together what we've heard. Okay, priority number two, according to the Beatles, is not only come together. You didn't know these guys were so spiritual, did you? Uh, you know, I had I, I printed the words to that come together. I was going to share our favorite. You know, what, there's some great. My favorite phrase is your. He's so good looking uh, because he he's impossible to see or something. What? He's so hard. He's so good looking. He is so hard to see. I don't know. There's some. I'm telling you. I I don't know what planet they were on when they wrote that, huh? You've got to be good looking because he's so hard. Okay. Okay. Well, let's not exegete that right now. But let's uh, let let, let's continue on. That's good. Well, if if you want the deeper, if you want the uh, alliterated outline of come together right now, see Pat. He will get that for you. Okay. Let's look at come together right now. Right now to Hupakuo. Now. We're gonna. When did they gather? When in Scripture? When in the early church did they gather? Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. All throughout the new uh, throughout the New Testament, the first day of the week is first fall Sunday. This was radical. It's a departure. What was the day of rest and of Sabbath worship? It was Saturday. Because God rested after the old creation. But when Jesus rose, there's a new day. There's a new creation. There's a new people of God. And that is Sunday, the first day of the week, and the first day of the new creation. Why? Look at your notes. The first day of the week is Sunday, the day Jesus rose from the dead. He rose on Sunday. It's the day the early church gathered together to worship. In Acts 27, it says on the first day of the week when they came together, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul assumes it is their habit. On Sundays, when you gather to worship, take up a collection to send out to the relief effort of the saints in Jerusalem. And as time progressed, it went from, this is when Christ rose, this is when we worship, and it it, it evolved finally in Revelation to being called the Lord's Day. Sunday is the day that is the Lord's Day. Look at Revelation 1.10. Revelation 1.10. Man, I love this verse. Here is the Apostle John. He's in exile on the Isle of Patmos because of his faith. He's persecuted. He's imprisoned. He's exiled. There's some debate whether he's in this horrible island suffering horribly or if he has a a little kind of a house arrest, you know, a, a better condition. But the point is he's not where he wants to be. 
He's isolated from the people of God. They have to travel to visit him. He had every reason to have a pity party. He had every reason to forsake the assembling of himself because after all, who am I going to assemble with? I'm exiled. See, he had all the reasons not to do what true believers do. And yet look at verses 9 and 10. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. I preached this word. I testified of who Jesus was. And I was persecuted for it. And I'm paying a price. But notice what he says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And there unfolds the vision of revelation. And I'm just, I'm just saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Where, where are you on Sunday? Where are you on Sunday? Are you in the Spirit on the Lord's day receiving a revelation through the written, preached word of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. Fifty years after the Apostle John penned these words, Justin Martyr, as I already read, is still saying, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities and in the country gather together in one place to Hupakuo. Wow. So let me give you this. Here's the principles out of, out of this priority of come together right now. Listen to sermons together should be a live action event. Listening to sermons together should be a live action event. Now, do, do you get what I'm saying? In other words, don't go online and download the sermon and listen, listen to it by yourself as a substitute for doing what? Coming and hearing it live, all right? Now, let me say up front, we have members who are so physically weak, so physically sick, that they can't come to church anymore. And, you know, one of these people is Dorothy Peters, a dear saint in our church who just can't physically, just can't, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen anymore for her. And yet, she's a member of our church. She's a believer in Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, if you would go to visit Dorothy, every time I ever go to visit her, she tells me about the sermons she's listening to on the TV. She tell, There's a book right by her Bible is open, right by her chair where she sits every day. There's a book about uh, by a Christian author about Christian topics. And she's also telling me about, oh, hey, I, I heard that series that, that Pastor Bruce did or that you did. I, I heard that one sermon. And she She's just talking about the Lord. And I go, man, this lady is doing, interacting and applying and learning more than I am. And he said, well, that's easy. That's all she does. No, 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 no. Don't go there. You know why you don't go there? You ever felt rotten? You ever had pain? You ever been isolated and lonely? You get depressed and you turn inward and you don't do anything. No, don't tell me. That somebody who's just, you know, she's just, she has nothing better to do. No, she has a lot of things she could be choosing to do. This is what she chooses to do. You see, there's all sorts of reasons why we miss church. Some are valid. Some are not. Some are excuses to cover up our carnality. And let's just be honest. And some are legitimate. Great. 
And that's what each one of us has to search our hearts before the Word and before the Spirit and with accountability to the gathered body of believers to find out what's going on. Here's my point. There's no substitute for hearing a message live as it's being preached or taught. Listening secondhand is like ordering a great steak at your favorite restaurant and then taking it home, putting it in the fridge, and then reheating it the next day. Jordan, you would never, you would never want to do that. You just don't want to do it. I mean, it's, it's, you, you know, the thing is, oh, I just want to eat it right now because it's, it's tasteful, it's impacting me, it's fresh. And it's okay to reheat it. There's a place for leftovers. There's a place to go online and download sermons. In fact, when, when a food's really good, you like to put it in the fridge and then kind of savor it again the next day. And there are some meals that are better reheated. Right? Stew on them a little bit. So there's a dynamic here. I'm just saying there's just something about hearing a message firsthand. And in fact, the reason you listen to it again and again is because you want to relive what? That first live action event. Listen, if you want a hupakuo, you hear it live. And you hear it together. And you hear it in community. Now, what stands in the way of taking part in this live-action event? Now, I can't come up with all the reasons that people have and all the reasons I have, you have. You have to work on your own. But let me give you some general ones. What stands in the way of hearing preaching live and teaching live? First of all, thinking that we can worship God alone as effectively as we can together. Okay, we've already addressed that. But we've got to get out of that mindset. Why? Because here's what happens. Far too many Christians are saying things like, in our culture, American culture, far too many are saying things like, well, I don't have to go to church to be a believer, to worship God. Well, you know, that's the wrong statement. You know, my question is, why would you want to? Tell me why you want to. And then let's look at Scripture and church history and see if you're the odd person out or if you're the normal, you know, Christian. Number two, believing that coming together for worship is optional for the Christian. See, we like to, we're in an age where any rule is legalism. Well, Pastor Bruce will be dealing with that in the series on the Ten Commandments. All right? Um, it's, it's the idea that, well, if you say, I have to do this, well, it's not me. Whose day is today? Who'd I just say, who show you? It's the Lord's day. Tell him I don't have to. And tell me how that goes. I'd like to hear that conversation. Lord, you died for me. You rose. Your people gather. I don't have to do this. What do you think he's going to say? Number three, letting technology like iPods, MP3s, uh, Internet downloads become a substitute for coming together to Hupakuo. These are supplements. They are not substitutes. They are supplements They are not substitutes for the live event. And then number four, forgetting that as we listen together, we should be sensitive to what God is saying to us as a corporate body and not just to me as an individual. Here's how I put it. Come together to hear it live to live it out together. Come together to hear it live to live it out together. That's what we're here to do. Now, another principle. 
bearing out of this come together right now. Listening to sermons together is to be a spiritual priority on the first day of the week. It's a spiritual priority. So let me encourage you, do something that I did many, many years ago before I was ever in the ministry. I just said, I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm just going to church every Sunday. And I'm sure I've, I've missed a few. We were in the Colorado Rockies on vacation one time, and there was this, that, or the other thing. But even on vacation, I just, I'm just going to church because this is who I am, and this is who my Lord is, and this is what I'm going to do. See, we get this all mixed up sometimes. We'll go to work as sick as a dog, but then have a little sneeze or a sniffle and not come to church on the Lord's Day. You know? Now, I'm just talking, you know, I probably shouldn't do this, but pastors talk this way. I mean, you know, man, I was really sick, but I made it to work all week. But, man, I I can't make it to the Lord's Day. Now, if you've got a fever or something that's really contagious, something that's crawling up and, you know, don't come. Okay, and we're, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about when the slightest thing will keep us from worship on the Lord's Day. And yet, boy, I tell you what, when that paycheck is involved in accountability to the Lord of the workplace, man, we're on it. What about out of love for the Lord of the universe? Gathering together. Something to think about. I would challenge you to make the Lord's Day a spiritual priority. The Lord will give us the wisdom how to balance family time and church time when He's the center of our lives. Listen to this. Albert Moeller is the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary where I'm studying right now. And he was recently, just this week, just recently this week, asked this question. Although there are many, is there one lesson the Lord has taught you that you would care to share with us? Here is a leading uh, Christian statesman of the Southern Baptist Convention, president of a seminary. Here's what he says. I think the one great lesson the Lord has taught me over these years is that the importance of the family and the local congregation supersedes every other relationship to which the Christian is called. Christians demonstrate the glory of God and the power of the gospel by the way we marry and stay married, by the way we raise our children, by the way we love each other, and by the way we live faithfully in the congregation of believers. In the end, I fear that far too much energy is devoted to and far too many hopes are invested in institutions, programs, and projects that will not last. The centrality of Christ's purpose to glorify Himself in His church and the blessings of God that are directed to the precious gift of the family, these far exceed our other allegiances. You know what I love about that statement? That he, he is living out a balance between the Lord, his church, and his family. He's not pitting the two against. He's not putting the church on the back burner to worship his children. And yet he's not neglecting his family in order to fulfill the ministry. I, I, I'm telling you, that's a beautiful thing. And some of us here, you say, I'm not in the ministry. Yeah, but you got a job. And, and let me challenge you. Are you letting your job... Get in the place of loving and serving your family. Are you letting it get in the place of being here on a regular basis on Sunday to gather and hear the preached word? The Lord of the universe can help you realign your life. I promise you 
He will help you do it. I like what uh, Don Whitney, he's a prophet, Southern as well. Here's what he says. Yes, you can hear preaching outside the church. And no, the Lord has not confined himself to work only in the church. But we should hear preaching in the church because the Lord does things through the declaration of his word that he does not ordinarily do through other means. Since the public ministry of his word is the only ordinary means whereby he does the most wonderful things that are done on earth, shouldn't you make listening to preaching in the church a priority? You know what he just said? God is doing a work through preaching that doesn't get done anyplace else in the universe. And we get to be a part of it. Lastly, the principle, listening to sermons together is a spiritual discipline that is practiced in community. You're going to have to discipline yourself. So here's how I sum it up. Discipline yourself to make it a spiritual priority to listen to sermons as a live-action event. Don't settle for leftovers. But here's the priority number three, and this is what I want to leave with you, because it's really not priority number three. It's really priority number one, but now we're ready to hear it. Come together, the Beatles said, right now over me. Now, I have no clue who they were referring to, but I know who the Lord's referring to. Come together right now over me. I want to end with this. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And he saw a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that revelation begins in Revelation 2 and 3 with letters to seven churches delivered to seven angels. Now, angel is really translated, uh, originally it just means messenger. It can be an angelic messenger or it can be human. Many believe these are the pastors of the seven churches. So they're coming to the risen Lord and they're receiving a message from him that reveals him, and then they're going and they're sharing that message. And you can read those seven sermons and hear them in Revelation 2 through 3. But every sermon from the lips of the risen Lord ends like this. He who has an ear, let him or her hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That sentence sums up everything that I've just said. Notice, he's speaking to the church gathered, what the Spirit says to the churches. But each one of us, Christ is saying this morning, do you have an ear? You say, well, yeah, Lord, I got two of them. But he didn't say plural. He said, he who has an ear. He's talking about that spiritual ear, that heart to hupakuo. He who is going to submit themselves to what I say Let him do so, for I am coming, and the end is near. So notice what it says. Listening to sermons together is what the Lord expects of his called-out assembly. Listening to them together is how the Lord speaks to his local body. But listening together still requires that each of us individually be ready to hupakuo. So here's my point. Look at the application. Come here to hear together. Come here to hear together. You have a privilege, saint. Don't forsake it for something less that this world offers. Hear it to live together. Hear it live together to live it out together. Let's 
And after you hear a lesson and after you go upstairs and hear a sermon, let's do more of, what would you hear in that? What's the Lord saying to you? Here's what the Lord's telling me. How can I pray for you to apply that this week? Let's actively provoke one another to biblical application. And then finally, what he says on his day should be our number one priority. Hey, don't stay away. You'll be glad you didn't on the day he returns. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are long-suffering with us. Thank you that you are patient with us. Lord, even though, in a sense, it's my calling, it's my vocation, it's my job to come here every Sunday, I check my heart periodically. I ask myself questions like, if this wasn't my calling, if this wasn't my living, would I do this? Is my heart in this? You see, it doesn't matter the physical. It's the heart being here, ready to hupakuo ready to submit to what you're saying. And so, Lord, I pray that today we are challenged and we will make a a commitment today to make your day a priority to hear your word, to get our family into that habit, and to model it even during the week. Lord, I pray that the preaching and teaching opportunities of this church would not be forsaken as a habit by some. But I pray that we would check our hearts, Realign with your word and soak it up because the days are getting darker. Your light is shining brighter and you are drawing ever nearer. In Jesus' name we say, come Lord Jesus, come. Your bride says come. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.